This week, Senator Leffler and Reverend Warnock go at it in the Georgia Senate runoff debate, as well as Ossoff and an empty podium. The COVID-19 vaccine looks like it has finally arrived. Nancy Pelosi finds a way to get mad at the media when asked about her failed stimulus negotiations. The nail in Trump's election coffin has finally been hammered shut. YouTube and social media decide that they always know best. Brandon Bernard is executed as the death penalty comes into controversy once more. The Republican split continues, but it seems more one-sided than ever before. Josh Hawley and Bernie Sanders bring faith back to humanity, and Andrew Yang leads in a New York City mayoral poll. It's been quite the week. This is The Matonberg Show. So we start with the Georgia runoff debates. It was absolutely hilarious how starting at 5 p.m. they started with Ossoff and they had him literally next to an empty podium. David Perdue wasn't there, but they had an empty podium and they did the whole thing as if he were there. Ossoff got to ask him a question and he didn't get to respond because he wasn't there. It was very funny. Um, And this is why I think as a non-starter, David Perdue doesn't deserve anyone's vote. If you refuse to debate and refuse to talk to constituents as an elected leader, I don't think anyone should vote for you. This is not me being anti-Republican in the same way that Nancy Pelosi refused to debate her primary opponent in this election. I don't think anyone deserves her vote in that primary I don't think that I I, th- I think that anyone who doesn't debate doesn't deserve a vote, and it's evident that David Perdue is wildly worse at debating. Was he absolutely destroyed by Ossoff in the previous debate when uh, Ossoff told him in the previous debates, you know, look up from your notes, talk to the people, uh, you you are in- inherently against the people's interests in COVID safety and economic issues. Ossoff took the time that he had by himself to talk about a few main things. He talked about stimulus, which was great. He wanted to give money money into the people's hands. That was good. He talked about immigration reform, uh, about some good changes that could be made. I think the entire Democratic Party as a whole could prioritize border security more while still prioritizing immigration reform, but that's neither here nor there. He's obviously not going to do that and distance himself from the Democrats. Uh, he overdid produce trading with the stocks. It is It was brutally unethical. However, there's nothing that... there. It doesn't seem to be illegal. It was terrible what he did because he... Uh, you know, when he got a private briefing on COVID, he dumped stock and sold stock. Just terrible. He know, you know, he undersold the entire thing while secretly selling money. It's terrible, but at the same time, it was overdone by Ossoff when he kind of talked more. I think about the economic issues, and he also talked about clean energy, which was good, and a new civil rights act, and had a better race relations. Uh, he did. He did pretty well. He used the time to attack Purdue repeatedly. He didn't get any rebuttals because he wasn't there. He used the time effectively. I don't think anyone was really watching. 
I don't know how much things will change in either of these races because I do think most Georgians will prioritize, unfortunately, having a Republican majority in the Senate, even is there the, the anti-Trump Republicans that put Biden over in Georgia, I do think will vote for Republicans, despite the fact that Purdue especially wouldn't even debate. And here's where I give Leffler credit. As terrible as she is on pretty much all of the issues and how, and, and as robotic she comes across as when speaking and how quite frankly just mean she seems she debated and I have to give her credit for that that shouldn't be something you get credit for but she debated she at least took the time to talk to the people and I have to I have to at least recognize that so moving on to the Warnock left the debate, which came on later in the night, uh, 7 p.m., I believe. They they both sort of the entire time, or not the entire time, but throughout the debate, both brought up how Warnock said, okay, I'm from Savannah, I'm from the, the housing projects. Warnock said, I grew up on a, I'm sorry, Leffler said, I grew up on a farm. They both sort of did this, you know, we, we came from the American dream sort of story and how they overcame things. I didn't really care for it when either of them said it, because I think it's just a bunch of talk. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not policy. Leffler, uh, the entire time, kept claiming that Trump didn't lose yet, which is technically correct. I will always say it's technically correct. But she went on to validate uh, Georgia fraud cases that had absolutely no chance of going through. And the way she said it seemed like Trump really had a chance when, of course, he doesn't. And she over if if Ossoff overdid the trade thing, then this is a whole nother stratosphere. The amount of time she said radical liberal Raphael Warnock was just unimaginable. And she said it so much that it didn't mean anything. It, for for someone as as against social extreme issues as he is, it was a it was a very weak argument to say that he for for someone who doesn't support defunding the police, who hasn't publicly supported Medicare for all, which I think he should. He uh, Leffler kept saying radical liberal Raphael Warnock. It lost all meaning, but she said it, I would guess, at least 30 times, not even exaggerating. And she made herself look very silly, robotic, like I said earlier. It seemed like she she was look had the same look the entire night and had no substance or not nearly enough stuff, substance to back up the general label she kept throwing on him that he was radical a radical liberal. Warnock also came across, he said, stimulus, 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 which was good for the people, not for the corporations like last time. I completely agree. However, some of his weaker points, he dodged questions on how much stimulus he wanted to propose, which I think was a bad thing to dodge, considering that 
uh, if you know if he's going to the Senate, he should have a number in mind. Um, I would I would say if I were him that the approximately two trillion dollar deal that Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, didn't take up take, I think that's would be the appropriate amount. But obviously, anything is good. You you just got to pass something. These people are in desperate need. Uh, he also dodged a question on court packing, which I don't know why everyone, Biden, Harris, now Warnock, keeps dodging that question because even if Democrats get the Senate majority, uh, which would be 50-50, Joe Manchin is not voting to pack the courts, so you might as well just say no because it's very unpopular to say we want to pack the courts. And if you can't even do it, you might as well just say you're not because I also think you shouldn't. It's a bad idea uh, to set up this precedent that whenever a party gets into power, we get to pack the courts because the courts should be unbiased. And I know that seems like a pipe dream, but they should be neutral and we have to get strive towards that, not trying to see whose side can win on the court. His rebuttals to Leffler's outrageously weak claims could have been stronger. She, she, uh, he could have responded better to some of the critiques on him being, you know, this radical extremist, which is just not true. He could have expressed that the majority of America, he could, he could have really hit on more that most Americans support all of these economic, uh, most of this economic agenda, healthcare, stimulus, all, all of that. Uh, he also touched on her selling stocks, uh, I think an appropriate amount, and her general elitism, how out of touch she is with the people, which was... Uh, which I think he he hit he did well, and they also both I think the one thing they agreed on was vaccine support, uh, which was really refreshing. I do think that we are now at a point where this vaccine is universally accepted and supported by Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Leffler, Warnock, everyone, and if this can be something that we can unite around and actually stop people from getting sick and dying, that would be a great thing. So the debate was very interesting, to say the least. The debates, one of them was not really a debate, but we'll see how how much it changes. I don't think it'll change anything. I do think Leffler and Purdue will both win, like I said earlier, because the anti-Trump Republicans in Georgia, as Biden did so well in the suburbs and not with minorities and in urban areas, I do think they will vote for Republicans to keep a Republican Senate majority, unfortunately. So speaking of the vaccine, here it is. Uh, The Pfizer vaccine for COVID was approved by the FDA. Uh, Millions of doses are expected to start coming in soon. Presumably, it'll first go to uh, people in medicine who directly work with COVID patients on the front lines, then probably people in nursing homes, then elderly people and people with pre-existing conditions, then teachers and possibly clergy and other 
important jobs, then students, and then everyone else. This is great news. Uh, the, the goal is to get this vaccine out as quickly as, and safely as possible, have it supported by everyone in government, get it out, and actually start recovering. Uh, it is important, and I said this last week, I really think that Obama and all the other presidents and Trump need to take this vaccine together because there is a large portion of the American population that's you know really tends to be pro-Trump that is also anti-vax or just does not trust the government at all anymore. And they need to be persuaded, most of them, to take the vaccine so that America can recover. And I think once we do that, the entire approach needs to be on, yes, everyone taking the vaccine and economic recovery, not the, you know, <laughs> economy, the economy, the people economy, stimulus and helping the people, unemployment, uh, people losing their houses, people starving, not not the not the stock market that that comes second, and that's doing well anyway for a variety of factors, none of which I think have to do with the president that often. But the the approach needs to now be on the people economy. And the vaccine. So hopefully, in a year, at the end of twenty twenty one into twenty twenty two, we can walk all of us into a grocery store without a worry in the world. Everyone is healthy and we get out of this terrible chapter in American history. It's still a long time away, but good news is finally here on that front. Everyone in the runoff debate supported the vaccine. Trump supports the vaccine. Democrats support the vaccine. Hopefully, this will be one thing that after a year of gridlock, the government can finally do for us, along with economic recovery. Additionally, early in the week, uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked by a reporter about all of this stimulus chaos, where she was offered approximately $2 trillion, didn't take it, claiming she wanted the $3 trillion, $4 trillion-ish, the deal on stimulus, and now it looks like she's going to settle for a trillion and may even have to compete with Mitch McConnell's proposal of $500 billion. So, in other words, in claiming she was aiming for a full deal, she didn't take a half deal, and now is trying to settle for a quarter deal, and might even have to compete with an eighth deal. Pathetic. When asked this by a reporter, she immediately said, why are you prefacing this as a mistake, which he didn't even do, but in doing that, she admitted it was a mistake, because it was. It was a complete tactical error, but I also think it might have been on purpose, because she didn't want people to get checks with Donald Trump's name on it before the election. It's all a power game. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. And it makes sense. Like, that does make sense. If people got checks with Trump's name on it before the election, they'd be more likely to vote for him. That is true. But does that mean you sacrifice the needs of millions of people who are either unemployed, hungry, lost their jobs, at some time during the pandemic, 
or just financially strained, took pay cuts, whatever. I don't think so. So when asked, she also went to say her, her, her defense was, it doesn't matter. Joe Biden's coming. It's, it's all good. It's all fantastic because Joe Biden is coming to unify us and the vaccine is here. Second part, vaccine, fine. That's an okay argument. Uh, you know, everyone was also saying earlier that Trump could never do it. And while I think he had absolutely no say or no impact on it, he technically was president while it happened. But the argument that Biden is going to come and save us is bogus. Because A, the president doesn't have that much power over our lives. And B, the, the way to help people is not this claim of unity where the corporatists in Washington all hold hands and dance around in a circle singing Kumbaya. It's giving people money. That's how you help people. And you failed to do that for the entire country. Joe Biden may be coming, but he is not going to magically, with the snap of a finger, change things. That's what Congress does. So the argument that Joe, Joe Biden is the reason why we don't need as much stimulus is absurd. This also comes at the same exact time as Joe Biden is releasing more cabinet picks. I went over those last week, many of them, and how I, I think almost all of them are centrist and uh, many pro-war and have been in previous uh, centrist Democratic or uh, administrations and some even in the Bush administration. And at the same time, he's also taking corporate and uh, you know, billionaire money from, for inauguration. And as opposed to the $2,800 limit that's in the primaries and general election, it's now $500,000 for individual people and a million dollars for companies. That's how much money he's getting for his inauguration, which is, he even said it's going to be virtual, so he's just taking money. We're not going to get to know who it's coming from for 90 days. If this is who's coming to save us and help the people, and he's taking that much money from corporations for this inauguration, I'm not, I'm not pleased. I'm not satisfied. I'm not convinced that Joe Biden in any way is going to magically save us. What will magically save people is giving them money. In other news this week, Trump is still fighting this election out, and I will say that he has every right to do it. I will also continue to say that he has absolutely no chance. Texas uh, came forth with a lawsuit claiming that I, I believe 17 other states handled their elections improperly and that they should uh, change the results. The Supreme Court, three of which, by the way, were three of whom were appointed by Trump, voted 9-0 not to consider it. Uh, in, uh, two justices, I believe, said they would have wished to hear the argument, but you know when it wasn't heard because there was nothing there, they all voted against it. Um, the Republicans, I do think, in this case, should be ashamed. After four years of 
being right in saying that the Democrats were claiming the 2016 election was fraud, which they were right, it wasn't. Now they're doing the same thing in 2020. Fraudgate, if you will, is the new Russiagate. There can be irregularities and anecdotal cases of fraud. And by anecdote, I literally mean like 20 per state. That can happen and we can work and make steps to change that. And we can also try and uh, stop pretending that the entire thing was fraud when there is very, very, very little evidence. And I said that the final nail has been hammered into Trump's election coffin because every state now has certified the results. Every single one. Tomorrow, on Monday, the electors go to the capitals of their state and they vote. And presumably, Biden will get 306 to Trump's 232, I believe. Plus or minus, let's say, three for faithless electors. Trump would need 37 for him to win. Not going to happen. Hillary Clinton, I believe, had six people vote against her. Trump had two in 2016. There is very, very small chance of any of that happening. It is technically not over, uh, but it all it is also, for all intents and purposes, completely over. Joe Biden won the election. I do think he won it fairly. And this this is getting, I think, out of hand because... We really, really, really need uh, to get things moving. There's a lot that needs to happen. This country has a lot of repairing to do. And I don't think Biden or Trump are going to, or neither of them are going to bring that to us, unfortunately. But uh, spending so much time on this election, which is, all but technically over, is getting annoying. The courts have heard and thrown out almost all of the cases now. It is over. If it wasn't already, it is over. In two days, the electors will vote on January 6th, or one day, sorry, the electors will vote January 6th. The joint Congress session will read the electors' votes, Biden will get 306-ish, and on January 20th, Joe Biden will be inaugurated unless something crazy happens. It is time to move on. Trump said on Twitter today that he was just beginning fighting, which I know he says things. So we could still be in for a long ride. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump doesn't concede until like January 18th. It's plausible, and he might run 2024 during the inauguration. We'll just have to see. Now, I stand by all of that. I absolutely think Trump lost the election. That being said, that is my opinion, as it has not technically happened yet. Social media, and now YouTube specifically, don't think that's the case, and they're wrong. Twitter, this entire time, on all of Donald Trump's tweets... Happens, you know, have this little information logo with a little eye in the circle 
saying this claim about election fraud is disputed. While there are still uh, claims of Stacey Abrams in 2018, all on Twitter, of everyone saying that her election was uh, stolen from her. Both things I think people are allowed to say. It's free speech, and I know Twitter's a private company, but I also don't think they should be censoring that. Because it's a person's opinion, and unless it literally is factually inaccurate, which it is not yet, because the election is technically not over, they shouldn't be touching it. YouTube made a move earlier this week to say that they're going to soon start taking down videos that claim Trump has won or that Biden has not won, which I think is a massive mistake because the electors haven't voted yet and Congress hasn't approved those electors yet. And even after that, you could still technically make the case that Joe Biden hasn't won because the FEC, FEC, Federal Election Commission, still has to prove that Biden and Harris are eligible, you know, that being 35 years of age, uh, born U.S. citizen. They still have to prove that they're able to serve. And even then, they still have to be inaugurated. YouTube has no place in saying what is fact and what is not. Social media has no place in that. I think that hurts the entire right of the political aisle and the left half of the left of the political aisle as well. Just like the media, the mainstream media, is all for the center-left politics, I also think it is the exact same for social media. And people should be able to speak their mind, say whatever they want, as long as it doesn't incite violence, obviously. And... And it, apl- it applies for both sides. I, th- I think that people can claim that Stacey Abrams' election was fraud or suppression. Same with 2020, same with 2016, any election ever. And they can also claim that this election isn't over because factually speaking, it isn't. And I've already said a million times, of course it is. Joe Biden has won. But technically it isn't. And YouTube should not, and social media shouldn't have a place in telling us that. Because we know who's running YouTube and social media. They are moderate Democrats. And I I just don't think they should be, they should have this much control over us. It's the same with Facebook and Instagram. Not to the same extent on Instagram, but Instagram is owned by Facebook. It's it's a big problem, censorship. And it's, it's very hard to navigate because they are independent companies, but at the same time, they are the basis of free speech in the 21st century. And people should be able to say whatever they want. That is America. In some very unfortunate news, just a few days ago, Brandon Bernard, who was charged on being involved, one of five people, in the killing of a couple over 20 years ago, was executed by the state of Indiana. And this, of course, brings into light the controversy over the death penalty. And my opinion, 
as a non-starter before we even get into Brandon Bernard's case is that the death penalty should absolutely, unequivocally, immediately be abolished. And it is not because I think that criminals and just scums of the earth like Nicholas Cruz, who killed over 15 people in Parkland, I don't think that it's because they deserve to live. I think it's because the government has absolutely no say in taking the lives of their own people. It should not be up to the United States government or any state government. And additionally, if Nicholas Cruz and other people like him get to live, I do think it is worth it to save the 4%, at the bare minimum, 4% of people who died that are innocent on death row. And the additional thousands of people who have had either been exonerated or been in cases that it's genuinely hard to tell if the person is innocent or guilty. And even if there's a shadow of a doubt, I don't think you should be able to kill someone. In Brandon Bernard's case, there was more than a shadow of a doubt. First of all, there was conflicting evidence. It does seem like he was guilty. He did admit and apologize for what he did. That being said, he was 18 when he did it. And it, there, there's, there are always cases where people who do worse things don't get the death penalty and people who do things that aren't as bad get it. Some states have the death penalty, some don't. And it's just a mess of epic proportions on, because there's no way to ensure that justice can be served when you have something as subjective as having a jury getting to decide who lives and who dies. It's terrible. It's just a terrible idea. And it's outdated. 70% of the, uh, the world doesn't have the death penalty. It gives the government the ability to have way too much control over the people. And Republicans should join with Democrats in wanting to get rid of it because they are maybe a name only, but they are small government. Now, I tend to be more small government socially and larger government economically. But in being, in the name of it, in being small government, being libertarian on aspects of social issues, the entire country should come together and say, okay, it's, it's been here for way too long. Too many innocent people are dying. Too many people who committed crimes where they're too young are dying. Too many questionable people where we don't know if they're innocent or guilty are dying. And yes, some terrible people are dying who deserve to die, but it's not worth it. And some could even argue ethically that, okay, the, the Nicholas Cruz's of the earth need to just sit there, rot, and suffer for the rest of their lives. I tend to kind of agree with that because I think for them, giving them final words, final meal, having this whole ceremonial process where they get to meet with a pastor before they're executed. For them, that's way too nice. They should suffer. They should be publicly executed. And for, but for the people who are innocent, it's torture to have them have final words and a final meal. Like, how could you do that to an innocent person? So the entire system is beyond flawed. Uh, as, as a possible compromise, this is something I thought of. 
and it's 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 full of concern and i'm questioning it myself but what if the death penalty is outlawed on the federal and state level by the federal government but if there's a case that is so terrible that both houses of congress and the president sign signs the the uh the execution that was passed by both houses of Congress, then maybe I'd be open to the death penalty. So then when you have someone like Nicholas Cruz, who is unquestionably guilty on camera and did something beyond horrific, then you could have the death penalty for people like them. And if that's the compromise needed to take power away from the states in killing people, and to and to stop this madness i'd be open to it i'd totally be open to it i do just think the death penalty should be uh completely abolished in general because i don't think the government should decide who dies ever but if that's a compromise necessary i'd be open to it either way change is necessary the execution of brandon bernard is unfortunate and and some, something has to be done. Now, there has been some new polling and news ratings this week that have shown that this Republican split that I do think is inevitable at this point that I've been talking about for the last two weeks is more one-sided than we thought. The Trump half, if you will, I cannot believe that Trump has half the party, but is is doing much better. People like Laura Trump might be running for Senate in North Carolina in 2022. She's winning in polls there. For 2024 Republican primary polls, Mike Pence and Donald Trump Jr. and Trump himself are all leading at the top. People like Mitt Romney and other establishment-like Republicans are not doing as well anymore in those polls. And on Fox News this week, they were beat for temporarily by Newsweek, which is more Trump style now as Fox, you know, especially when they called Arizona for Biden before anyone else, it's evident that they don't, they, they don't speak for the Trump part of the party anymore. And while Fox News is still, of course, doing better than Newsweek, it's crazy that Newsweek could have done better even for a second. For the Trump have to be successful in the future, they are very successful for the time being, but in the future, I think they have to stop being fake populists and become real populists. What I mean by that is they have to stop being anti-war and rhetoric only and actually support getting out of wars. They have to be economically way more liberal and support... Um, better healthcare programs, and better possible UBI, things of that nature. That's what would make them successful to be the Sagar Unheady type Republican. That's what would set them apart because right now both has, it's sort of a class divide. You have the lower and middle class with the Trump half, which is way more people, and then you have the middle class, you know, the higher middle class and upper class with the establishment. 
who want to get back to being fancy, I guess. Fancy is not a good word, but who want to get back to being formal and presidential. And that's something I didn't mind about Trump, is that he spoke his mind. He was not presidential. He said things. He called out the media. I didn't mind that. Either way, a I, I do think that a Trump-like conservative versus an establishment Democrat could yield a Trump-like Republican winning. That being said, a real populist on the left versus a fake populist on the right, who's part of the Trump camp, I do think the populist on the left would win. Now, if you have a real populist on the right, which there are not enough of, but there are some, versus a populist on the left, that could be close. And the same with establishment on both sides. The Trump half of the party, and it could be temporary, it could be just that Trump is still the incumbent and there's that effect. But it might not be. Trump might have really started a revolution in that party, the likes of which Bernie Sanders and AOC weren't able to do because they weren't as blasphemous as Trump. They weren't up there at speeches cursing and riling up the crowd. That's what was necessary. Now, I don't think that's really populism, but it came across that way, and it's becoming pretty successful in that party. Who knows how long it'll last? I do think the establishment of both sides are moving closer and closer to the center together in unity in support unity in supporting the war is not having good enough healthcare programs that sort of thing that being said the trump half of the party and the populist left half of the democratic party could really shake things up in the future we could have a four party system who knows but this is I do think this is kind of good news in the sense that the Republicans could do it. So now it's up to the Democrats to do it as well. I think civil wars in both parties would be good. It would be better for the country to finally drain the swamp, if you will, have term limits, have younger people in office, have populace in office, and amount to real change. So sort of in line with this these splits I was talking about, we have what, what I think now are populists joining together in agreement on some issues. And this is sort of now the, the good news portion of the podcast. I already talked about the vaccines. But besides that, this week, Josh Hawley and Bernie Sanders came together to fight for $1,200 direct stimulus checks to Americans to be included in the new stimulus bill, which, by the way, we have not gotten since April, which is absurd. But Josh Hawley, who, by the way, has been wrong on a gazillion things in supporting Trump tax cuts on the rich and so many other things. But right here, he's smart enough to say the money should be going to the people as a first priority. That's what he said, both him and Bernie. And they're able to work together. And it, it, it keeps, it's right in line with the rise of populism that I see, is that they're the people who are, who are really able to agree. 
They, they disagree on so many things, but they're able to agree, yes, people should get money right now because we're in an economic crisis. Also, Tulsi Gabbard was able to agree with some Republicans on a bill that would make it so that uh, transgender women, people who were born as men and then changed to women, are not able to play sports with in women's leagues. Now, this is... My take is going to be very controversial. And I, I respect anyone who disagrees with me. I hope the feeling is mutual. But I tend to agree with her with one, one disagreement. I do think it should be based more on hormone levels as opposed to just biological sex. So more should be taken into account. But when you ha- it, it does happen where people change who are uh, born men. They change to women. Uh, as a way to be better in wi- in women's sports because men are biologically better at sports. And that is not fair, and I do think the government should take action on that. Now, when you have a different case where someone has fully changed hormonally to a woman, absolutely they should be able to play in women's leagues because they're a woman. They're completely a woman now, and that's... That's fine. I think what Tulsi Gabbard and these Republicans were agreeing on, which a lot of people disagree with and people are calling transphobic, uh, is I think it's more based towards women being harmed and put in a disadvantage when they have to play with people who are only temporarily changing temporarily or had just changed towards women or to to be a woman it's i understand how controversial it is but i see it as a sign that on social issues populists are able to agree and also on economic issues absolutely the rights of transgender People should be protected at all costs. There should be new protections acts put in place. But at the same time, uh, women should not be forced to be at the disadvantage of playing with men uh, who only claim to be women to be better in women's sports leagues. Now, my disagreement, which I want to make very clear with Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what her opinion on this is, but it must be made evidently clear that if someone has changed to a woman, for real, they should absolutely be able to play with women. I think it is something that is seen, that, that is made overly controversial, when I do think if we really thought about it, more people would agree than not. It's, it's more as a way to protect women than as a way to harm transgender people if, if, and only if, you add a clause that states that it's also based on hormone levels, and that's important. But nonetheless, Josh Hawley, Bernie Sanders are able to agree on economic issues, Tulsi Gabbard and some Republicans on social issues. We'll see where that takes us in the future. Now, finally, and not only good, but great news 
a new poll came out that had Andrew Yang leading the New York City mayoral race for 2021. He has not declared that he's running yet, but if he does, he's already winning, which is just fantastic news. The poll had Andrew Yang at 20%, Eric Adams at 14%, Chris, uh, Christine Quinn and Maya Wiley at 7%, Scott Stringer at 11%, and Max Rose at 6%. Uh, so Andrew Yang with a uh, pretty good plurality there. It would be fantastic if he could win that race. He would have to run first. He already has endorsements from lots of people, even though he's not running yet. If if he were to be mayor of New York City, there would be some great positive change. Uh, we'd finally be out of this Bill de Blasio, power-hungry, hypocritical era of politics in New York City, and we could get toward people politics that helps people economically and is led by a genuinely good man, Andrew Yang. It would be fabulous if that could be pulled off, if he could win. It would be much needed for the mayor of the largest city in the country to be Andrew Yang. He might support, he might implement, try to implement UBI in New York City. So many good things could happen with that. And we can only hope. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback, so please feel free to reach out with any questions, comments, or disagreements. Stay tuned for next week's episode, as well as more midweek guests in the future. Have a great week, everyone. The Matan Berg Show is written, produced, and edited by Matan Berg. The executive producer is Nick Newman. Cover art and logo created by Noah Berg. Go to www.noahsbranding.com for all of your marketing and graphic design needs.